The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then, they, then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In the first half of Mark's gospel, 
Jesus is a healer. He heals a leper, a paralytic, a man with a withered hand, and in today's reading, a bleeding woman and a dead girl. Three quarters of the people Jesus heals in this gospel are social outcasts, afflicted by conditions that make them ritually unclean. They were banned from society, excluded from relationship, and isolated from community. In today's gospel, the writer employs what's known as a Markin sandwich, where he begins telling one story, and then he interrupts himself to tell another story before returning to conclude the original story. This structure is used at least nine times in Mark's Gospel, and when we encounter it, we must identify the toothpick, that thing, that idea that holds the sandwich together. Here, the story of a wealthy, influential leader and his dying daughter sandwiches that of the bleeding woman hiding in plain sight, yearning for healing. The older woman's faith forms the center of that sandwich and is the key to its interpretation. Through her, Mark shows how faith in Jesus can transform fear and despair into hope and salvation. More than 20 years ago, Becca Stevens, an Episcopal priest in Nashville, Tennessee, founded Thistle Farms, a place of sanctuary for women who have experienced trafficking, violence, and addiction. Women are in residence for two years and receive housing, medical care, therapy, education, and job training at no cost to them. Through Thistle Farms, these women experience life-giving relationships and a healing community where they learn that God's love is unfolding in their lives. Just as Stevens has met hundreds of women whose first memories are trauma and whose horror stories never seem to end, in Mark's Gospel, Jesus encounters human crisis upon human crisis. With their stories set side by side, we can see how different these characters are. The man named Jairus is a synagogue leader who has wealth and influence and publicly approaches Jesus to advocate for his 12-year-old daughter. The woman, whose name we never learn, has been hemorrhaging for as long as the girl has been alive. She doesn't have anyone there to speak on her behalf. Alone and cast out from religious life and living in poverty because she has spent all of her money searching for a cure, she reaches out to Jesus from the obscurity of the crowd. But then their stories converge because both Jairus and the woman share a common, desperate need for healing 
And because they are both children of God, neither his privilege nor her status matter to Jesus. Last week, we witnessed Jesus' power over creation when he subdued the waves and the wind on the Sea of Galilee. And now we see that he is also Lord of law and life. By law, the ritually unclean and the dead were out of bounds and off limits. But Jesus prioritizes relationships over rules to restore life to both the woman and the girl. Even as we celebrate these healing stories, it's important to say that there are no adequate answers to the unanswered questions this gospel provokes. Why is there suffering in this world? And what does healing look like when it doesn't come in the way or at the time that we think it should? And all the other questions that are cried out at bedsides and at gravesides in anguished tears. Powerfully, these stories link the healing power of Jesus and the saving power of faith. Not in the way that the connection between faith and healing has been corrupted and abused over centuries, where illness and even death were misunderstood as a shameful editorial on the morality or the worth of a person or their family. But here, the word used throughout this passage for being made well and being healed is the same word for salvation, which we understand as being from something bad for something good and accomplished by God. We are not only saved from death, from separation from God, but we are saved for abundant life with God and with each other for the sake of the world. As Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Again and again in Mark's healing stories, Jesus saves people from death, healing them physically and restoring them to their roles and relationships within their communities. In Jesus, they experience the incarnational love of God that manifests itself as God's commitment to be present with us in this world, present with us at those bedsides and gravesides, present with us when we are cast out or disregarded by others, present with us when we are hopeless and hurting and desperate for healing. Healed and restored, the woman is now called daughter by Jesus. And the girl on the cusp of adulthood in the first century takes her place in the gathered community too. 
In joining their stories, Mark demonstrates the social and communal nature of healing. This is what it looks like to be God's children and to live in relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. For the last four nights, I've been watching the live stream of the ELCA youth gathering that's been happening in Houston since Wednesday. More than 30,000 teenagers from across the country, including more than 800 from right here in North Carolina, are gathered there for worship, learning, and service. And every night they are all together in a stadium where they are hearing transformative stories of how people have experienced God's call, love, grace, and hope in their lives. And one common thread that is woven through all of their stories is that our faith is rooted in relationship with God and with each other and even with our enemies. Because when we believe that, then we can share our suffering, confess our brokenness and our inability to fix ourselves and surrender the foolish and false ideas that masquerade as truth about who we are and who God is. And like the bleeding woman, we can realize that we are seen and known by God, and we are loved. And that is only the beginning. We learn, like one of the speakers said Friday night, that in sharing our brokenness, we find healing in the grace that finds us. Every one of us is recovering from something, carrying some burden too weighty for us alone. And in community, we find we are freed from those burdens. And in turn, we can offer healing and reconciliation to the people we encounter, confident that God uses us when we touch the wounds of others in Christ-like ways. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks for your Son, Jesus. For no matter how deep we sink in despair or how broken we are, he comes to us and at the touch of his hand, the outcasts are healed and reconciled and we awake to fullness of life. Lift us up to new life each day as we experience your healing mercy. And by your spirit, help us to love others as we are loved by you. Amen.